You can turn your Bibles with me to James chapter 1. In James chapter 1, verse 21. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness. If your Christian life is not exercised in the putting aside of things in your life, no wonder you're so heavy laden and burdened down. I see this as a problem in my life, brothers and sisters. In the, my past Christian journey, one of the things I wanted to do was add Jesus, add his instructive words, add his truths to my life without laying aside, putting off. And you know what will happen? You'll be like the picture of that John Bunyan painted of the pilgrim who began his Christian journey without going through the cross, the narrow gate. And he became so burdened. Remember the picture he gave of this man who had a backpack and he was burdened down with the cares and the sins and guilt and condemnation and self-righteousness and all of these things. And until he came to the gate and his burden rolled away. He was heavy laden and burdened. And this is the invitation that Jesus gave to his own people. Not to the Gentiles, to the wicked people, to the righteous Jews. He said, come to me all of you who are heavy laden and burdened and you'll find rest for your souls. It's your Christian life. That learning Christ, that growing in his knowledge, a life of rest. A life of rest and peace in your soul? Or is it one of travail and you read this truth and the Lord gives you a burden maybe for evangelism? And so you want to add that to your life, to your life. Or are you willing to take your life and lay it before him and give him your life and say, make me a fisher of men? You want to add it to your schedule? Or are you willing to give your schedule to Jesus Christ and let him direct your steps. You want to add it to your prayer time, but you already have so much time and you only have that much time to pray. So you know you should pray and intercede for souls. So you want to add it to your life and it will crush your life. Become a burden to you. Become a constant condemnation. I should be praying more. I should be praying more. I should have more quiet time. I should read the word more. Is that how you relate with Jesus? Or is it a life of rest? Unless you and I are willing to lay aside, or as Hebrew 12 says, to put aside those sins which easily beset us. Laying aside that exercise of laying aside my own will, my own ambitions, however good they may be, my own intentions, my own life. Unless I lay it aside to receive God's word, it'll crush my life. My life will be a burden. Seeking to please God, but the more I seek to please him, the more tired I get, the more burdened I become, just like that pilgrim that John Bunyan so beautifully illustrated. Each one becomes like a rock in your backpack. Each truth, another rock in your backpack. Until it's so heavy, 
you're walking like this. Just barely able to walk through your Christian life. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word, not merely hearers who delude or deceive themselves. And I've been deeply convicted about how I am receiving the word of God. Because the natural man cannot receive the things of God, 1 Corinthians tells us. They cannot receive the things of God. You know why? They appear as foolishness to you. The things of God will come and confront your life and they will appear as foolishness. How many of you young people have listened to that sermon that Carolyn posted last night by Tim Tebow that he gave to the conference, Passion uh, Conference? If you haven't listened to it, guys, you should post it on the church family Viber, Carolyn. We listened to that last night, the boys and, and us. And just a quick synopsis of the story. He gave a story of this photographer who was over in Africa somewhere, I think it was, where there was a lot of starvation and poverty and they came to this village and they were told, don't touch the people, they're dying, they have diseases, don't help anyone. And there was this, this they came into this area with a lot of uh, food and resources and, and this photographer, he, he seen this little child, I think it was a girl, come and she was so weak and so dehydrated and so malnourished that she was down on her legs and she was just crawling a little bit at a time. Then she lay there a little bit again towards the, towards the place where they were giving the help. And just a few feet behind her, there was a, a vulture, a turkey vulture, watching, waiting to eat this dead little baby girl. And apparently, you know, they say that once your body comes to a place like that, is so malnourished, there's the smell of death on you. Because your body starts decomposing, starts eating on itself. And you could tell she was so skinny, the bones were sticking out all over. And this photographer went and snapped a photo. And he did nothing. He turned and he walked away. Didn't help her because they were told, don't touch. And he went home. And the New York Times published this photo. And he won a Pulitzer Prize that year. And four months later, he killed himself. He committed suicide. He won the most prestigious award for capturing this photo that the world was fascinated and enamored with. But he couldn't live with his conscience because he walked away from a dying soul to be eaten by a bird. And what is gripping my heart is this is what I do with the word of God too many times. It's able to save my soul. I take a photo of it. I'm fascinated. 
I perhaps could put it into eloquent words, adding my words, even my life to it, and embellish it, the truth that I'm so excited about. And perhaps crowds are moved by it. But inside, I'm empty. Because I haven't received the word. I've studied it. I've preached it. I've looked at it. I've tried to live it. But I haven't received it and allowed the Holy Spirit to implant it in my life. How are you receiving the word? I find that the word of God, you know, the last time I spoke, I talked about the parable that Jesus gave of the seed of the word of God that was sown by the wayside. And the ground is so hard and so hard that it doesn't, it can't get into the ground. So the birds are watching and the birds are right there looking to snatch it up. And Jesus, when he explained the parable, explained it this way. He said, it's the word of God that is sown onto people's hearts and minds, but they don't understand it. And because they don't understand it, they walk away unchanged. It's the devil immediately comes and takes it out of their mind. Now, I don't know what your response is to the word of God when you don't understand something, but it all depends for me on my attitude towards that misunderstanding or that not understanding what I'm reading. If I have an attitude that I'm reading God's word to add it to my life, to embellish me, to like clothe me and make me look good to others to put those words in my mouth or be able to write things about them. If I have any selfish ambition with the word of God, or maybe it's simply for your sake, you want to feel good that day. You're feeling kind of blah, you know, just, you know how you feel when you watch too many movies, too much TV, you just walk away just Got to go get some fresh air, right? We even do that after maybe watching a game for an hour or whatever. And you just feel like you got to get out of the house. If that's why you come to the word of God, for any selfish ambition, my dear brothers and sisters, you'll receive it with that attitude. I'm taking it for my good, for my pleasure. There's a different attitude that we're going to see today, this morning, that I want to present to you, that I see so beautifully in the lives of the apostles and prophets, in the life of Jesus Christ, and in the lives of hundreds and thousands of men and women down through the ages since Jesus died and rose again and sent forth His Holy Spirit that transformed their lives. I regularly read... A book by Oswald Chambers, years ago, Mark Farber, gave me a big thick book that says The Complete Works of Oswald Chambers. Now, if you don't know who Oswald Chambers is, I really encourage you to get to know this brother. He's in glory. He's alive with the Lord. At the age of 22, he was so gripped by the Holy Spirit that he said these words. I feel I should be buried for a time, hidden away in obscurity. Then suddenly I shall flame out, do my work, and be gone. And he died at the age of 43. 
but he left behind the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Like rivers of living water, they flowed out of his life. He himself didn't record a lot of his writings, but his wife did. As she watched him flame out, she wrote. And after he died, she compiled a lot of it, he and his wife and his daughter. He wrote, they put a book together called My Utmost for His Highest. I don't know what that brings to your heart, if that brings a word of, yes, I know what that's all about. My utmost for His glory, for His highest purpose in my life. But if, if you're sitting here this morning and you're kind of like, sounds nice. Oh, praise the Lord, brother. I'm glad that worked out for you. Or if you're thinking, I'd like that. Whatever your response, I just want to encourage you with this truth. Jesus is offering it to you. This morning, Jesus is offering it without any respect or persons. He's standing there and saying, Come to me, all you who are heavy laden, who are burdened down with your own righteousness, with your own waywardness, with your own whatever, your own life. I will give you rest for your souls and I will speak to you words of truth, but you must you must come to me with the attitude of humility. In humility, lay aside first anything that he speaks to you about. Having an attitude when I come to the word of God is speak, Lord. I'm here to listen and obey and I'll do whatever you tell me to do. If you come to the Lord and his word with that attitude, Yes, you'll be changed. There are many things in your life that he'll speak his opinion on. He'll voice to you his care about. And he'll confirm his love and his help in your life. That's what Jesus called the Holy Spirit, the helper. And without that encouragement of the helper, we're overwhelmed. It looks like, how can I ever do this, Lord? I'm so addicted to this. I don't see how I can ever break free from this sin. This besetting thing you're asking me to lay aside. How in the world? It's life-changing. I don't know how I could do it. And then he says, I'll help you. I think one of the most encouraging words that we as parents can give to our children when we give them an instruction is, do this, and if they say, they're overwhelmed by it. They say, look, honey, I'll help you. Right? Me? Okay. Yeah, I'll help you. Okay. I'm here. I'll teach you. Now, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a story about Lukey. So, Lukey didn't, he was really uncomfortable riding his bike about two years ago. Right? And it was right around Easter, actually. Remember? Wasn't it Easter Sunday when you did for the first time? Yeah, it was. Easter sunrise. Easter Sunday. So I said, I'll help him. And he didn't like the training wheels because training wheels will make you go, whoo, whoo, whoo. I seen a little kid for the first time out this morning. His daddy had gotten him a new bike and it's, he fell and he was wailing on the sidewalk. And his daddy was like, it's okay, it's okay, I'll help you. And I said, new bike? He said, yep, first time, training wheels. Well, that's kind of how Lukey was. So I told Lukey, Lukey, I'll teach you how to ride bike. I'll help you. Okay, he was scared. But I put him on the seat, took the training wheels off. And I'd, I'd put my hand right back here on his bike seat and I'd run along beside him. 
And you could do pretty much on the bike with your hand like this, you know, on the, on the back of the seat. I helped balance him. We'd go around the cul-de-sac and around and around and around. Did this every day for like at least a week, right? Tried to do it, I think, every day for a whole week. Two weeks. Two weeks. Two days. Two days? Oh, I think it was more than that. Anyway, finally on Easter Sunday, I said, okay, let's go ride his bike. And I didn't tell him what I'm going to do, but I told him, I think you can do this. I kept telling him, you can do this. Yeah? You're right. You told the secret. He didn't even notice. So what I started doing was just putting my hand back there, but not holding on anymore. But he could feel my hand right on his seat. So he thought I was holding the bike. And I started running around with him like that. And he had no idea. He thought I was balancing it. So I finally just took my hand off and he started freaking out. And I said, no, no, no. I've been doing this all along here for quite a while. Yep. And down he went. Yeah, I don't think so. That's how Jesus, Jesus promises us. When he takes us into this triumphant life and he wants to give us victory over something that we are enslaved to and we can't do it. We've tried and tried and tried and we're scared. And just like Lukey trying to ride his bike for all these years, he was scared and he couldn't do it. Jesus comes along and he gives us that promise. I'll help you. So if you come to his word and you feel overwhelmed and you don't understand, come to him and ask him, Lord, I need your help. That's what humility is. Humility is the opposite of self-reliance and self-dependent spirit. I don't need your help. That's the spirit that I too many times in my Christian walk have come to with the Lord. Lord, I got this. I can read English. These words are in English. And I can, I have dictionaries. I have concordances. I have, you know, all of these topical books and references. I'll figure it out. I have, you know, the Greek and New Testament dictionary in Greek and the Old Testament in Hebrew right here in my Bible. I'll look up the word references. I can study. I can figure it out. I can add it to my Christian life knowledge. Now, Peter in 2 Peter 1 says, you should add to your faith knowledge. But how are you going to do that? With what attitude will you add to your faith knowledge? If you come in humility and receive the implanted word, it'll save your soul. Verse 21. The spirit of humility. I was looking at that and deeply convicted by it in 1 Peter Chapter 3, he tells us, in verse 1, he's beginning to speak to the women, but he didn't quit speaking to the men. So he's addressing all Christians at the end of chapter 2, um, in verse 25, for you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your soul. In the same way, you wives, so he's still speaking to us men. In the same way, you wives. And then he comes down in verse 3 and says, Let not your adornment be merely external. Now, all of us have external adornment on. 
right? We, we clothed ourselves. And he says, you should clothe yourself, but don't merely let it be an external adornment. But let it be of, and he says, abrading the hair, wearing gold, jewelry, putting on dresses, whatever it may be that you're adorning yourself with, but let it be the hidden person of your heart with the imperishable. It's never going to die, never going to go away, can't be robbed from you. The imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. And I felt the Lord saying to me, Phil, when I go throughout the world looking like the Lord told Israel in the Old Testament, he said, I, the eyes of the Lord are looking all over the earth to find a person whose heart is turned towards me. God is looking. And just like he went to Sodom and he would have spared Sodom for 10 righteous men. Later in Ezekiel 9, he said to Ezekiel, he said, if I find one righteous person in the city of Jerusalem, I will not destroy it. One righteous man. And he found none. Not even one. God is looking today. Whose heart is turned towards me? With this meek and quiet spirit. And when he finds people who come to him in his word, and are laying aside their own attitudes, laying aside their own agendas, laying aside their own will. As the Hebrew writer said, I come to do thy will, O God. That was the attitude of Jesus when he came to the earth. I came to do thy will, O God. Then the Lord does something. He clothes us. Like in 1 Peter 5, he says, that humility is like a cloth. He says in chapter Chapter 5, verse 5, you younger men likewise be subject, subject to your elders and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. Unless God gives grace to his word, the grace of these words, I'll help you. Unless you hear the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking those words to you every time you read the truth, you hear his voice and you hear him say, I'll help you. You'll be overwhelmed. You'll be discouraged. You'll add it to your life. and It'll be a heavier burden which will eventually discourage you, depress you, maybe even crush your life. Like the man who took that photo. And he knew what he should do, but he didn't. And he couldn't live with himself after that, even though he became famous and rich. Jesus said in Matthew 5, very interesting, turn your Bibles with me to Matthew 5, and look how Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount. Now, if you haven't read the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gave, I strongly encourage you, go back, and read it again with this attitude. I come to do your will, O God. Look what he says. He begins this describing the blessed life. Those who are blessed on the earth. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Would God say that you're poor in spirit? 
What do you think if you'd examine your spirit last week? Were you strong in spirit? Or did he find you poor and broken in spirit? Your will broken. I'm not saying poor in spirit. I don't want to paint a picture in your mind of someone who just walks around crying and weeping and, and you know, just I'll do whatever anybody tells me to do. But we're talking about our attitude towards God. Is it poor in spirit or strong in spirit? I see in my life that way too often, I confess this to you, I've read the Word of God, prepared it as a sermon, rich in spirit, and it came out as words of condemnation, words of judgment, instead of words of encouragement, words of life. Because that's how it was in my heart. I had taken God's word to share it with others, rich and strong in spirit, instead of poor in spirit. And you know what I got? You know what I got? My result was, I did not get the kingdom of heaven. Not that day. Not that way. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That means God's presence comes down, and as His will is being done on earth, in heaven, so in your heart. Your heart becomes the kingdom of heaven, where Christ reigns and He's spoken, and the atmosphere of His kingdom fills your soul and captivates your thoughts and your mind. It changes your attitude. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Speaking of a repentance, having a heart of, I'll repent, Lord, I'll lay aside. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they shall be satisfied. Is your Christian life dissatisfied in any way? Change your attitude toward God's Word. Begin to come in a poor and a contrite spirit that God says He won't despise. In a meek way, receive His implanted Word with a heart to obey. You'll receive. You'll be satisfied. In John chapter 1, I was captivated with this thought a lot lately because it's been something God is doing in my heart and in my life. In John chapter 1, as we go down through all the way into verse 14, is the, is the end result. But in verse 12 he says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were not born of blood, nor of the will of your flesh. Nothing that has been born of God in your life has come from your self-determination. Nothing. It's all come out of God's grace, His mercy, and by His Spirit. Not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. I think Joel says that. And the, verse 14, And the Word became flesh, dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. Do you see how truth is coming? And is changing flesh into God's living Word? How is 
your flesh being changed into God's living word. That means, to me, it's real simple. It means like this. I read these words to the boys the other day. Ephesians chapter 5. I'll give you this as an example. And I ask you, as I'm turning to Ephesians chapter 5, Actually, chapter 4, sorry. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. Why do you work? What's the goal of why you make a living and make money? Check your heart. Here's God's word to your goal. Let him that steals, steal no longer. Don't do it that way. No robbery, no stealing. But rather let him labor, performing with his own hands... What is good? Why? In order that he may have something to share with him who is in need. The goal of all my labor on my earth, on the earth, I think God will sometime put a fire to it. Like in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul said every man's work will be tested by fire. And there's three things that will, my work will be made of. Hay, wood, or stubble. Hay, wood, and stubble. Now hay burns very quickly, right? Wood, ah, oh, we can do a lot of things with wood. We can build a house. We can build big mansions. We can do a lot more with wood than we can with hay. Well, back in those days, though, they took straw or hay and made bricks out of them. And so that was more in reference to you can make a brick out of it. Or you can build your life out of something that is wood. Or you can just simply use stubble. And stubble was that uh, word of, of when, they're, when they're harvesting wheat. It's the word chaff. Only the grain comes out and the rest, the wind just... Poof, you can't do anything with it. It's just blowing out into the field. Or is it gold? It all depends on the motivation for how you work. That's how the Lord is bringing it to me. Are you working with your hands so that you can have to share, to minister, to build my kingdom, the goal of why I work? An example of how God's word can change your life. If you receive that word and go, yeah, sounds nice. Hey, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach my kids that. That's a really good thing. I'm going to preach it on Sunday morning. Oh, I'm going to go and tell my co-workers this. I'm going to write it even on the wall to remind me. I'm going to add it to my life. My agendas, my busy life, my life, my accumulations. I'm going to add it as one of my goals. Or you come to that word and say, Lord, I repent. I'm so sorry. So much of my life is for me. I don't work hard to share with others. That's simply not true in my heart. And you know it's not true. I'm working hard to get ahead. I'm working hard for something new. More things that I can accumulate which will just become a greater heap of ashes the moment I die. Like that rich man that Jesus said. What did he say he would do? Oh, he had so much. Too much. And he wasn't about to share any of it. So he built his barns bigger. And he built, bought more land. He just went bigger. And Jesus said, You fool. Tonight, after you're dead, whose will they all be? So is the man 
who is not rich towards God. So is the man who does not labor for the kingdom of heaven. Who isn't, that's not where his heart is. It's not where his affections are. How is the word made flesh in you? A.W. Tozer, some years ago I read this in one of his books, and you can find it in a book that he, he wrote called Rut, Rot, or Revival. Rut, Rot, or Revival. And his burden in this book, A.W. Tozer's burden was that Christians, quote, he wrote, Christians who do not know this law will never be anything but half-Christians. Now, what does it mean to be a half-Christian? If you read the book, he'll explain to you his perspective on that. Deeply challenging. But I ask you, are you a half-Christian? As I sought the Lord and I said, Lord, am I a half-Christian? The Lord began to reveal to me some attitudes in my heart that were half-Christian. Some things that were selfish ambition was there. And he, he gives these three laws, A.W. Tozer says, that every Christian should have, and they work in your life. Concentration, fascination, and meditation. Now, those words aren't necessarily in the scripture, but the principles are there. Concentration. And he says this, nobody ever became great at anything or really good at something whether it's a musician, a sports player, or a person in their job, or you do not and will never excel in anything unless you concentrate on it. And you won't concentrate on something unless it fascinates you. Because we are designed and created of creatures of fascination. That's why the lust of the eye is so strong. And God warns us, if the lust of the eye... And the pride of life and the lust of the flesh that are all of the world and none of God are in your life and you don't lay them aside? You don't die to them? You're an enemy of God. You're an enemy of God. He who loves the world is the enemy of God. That's what James says. Wow. God resists the proud, but he's looking for those whose hearts are turned upward. And are ready to receive this meek and quiet spirit receiving the implanted word which is able to save their souls. Half Christians. And I thought about half Christians. And what they lacked in the concentration, the fascination, what they were fascinated with. And what they thought about meditation. And how all three of those applied to my relationship with God's word. And I have found in my life that once I began to concentrate on the word more, I became more fascinated with it. Fascination begins to grow in your heart. How are you fascinated with Jesus? Are you fascinated with his word? If not, I give you a piece of advice. Begin to concentrate on his word and on his life, on Jesus' care for you. Begin to think towards God and concentrate on that in your life. And you'll become fascinated. Old Psalm 107, I think it is, speaks about how men will declare the greatness of, his, of God and, and their, 
They're studied by all those who are, who are, oh, I'll have to find that. Anyway, they're studied by men who are, who are walking with God. And then the third ingredient, you'll begin to think on those things. Meditate on it. And the Lord challenged me. Does my word go through your mind without any meditation? That word I just read to you. Labor with your hands so that you have to give to share. Did that just go right through you? And it won't do anything for you? Or will it change your life today? Will it change your attitude next week of why you labor? Will it change how you think about your work when you go to work in the morning? How you think about your labors of wives and moms? How you labor for your children? It won't unless first you concentrate on it. You begin to get fascinated with that thought and then you meditate on it. Don't let God's word go through your mind without meditation. It'll be food for the birds. Half-hearted Christians are explained to us quite well and we know the story in Revelation chapter 3, don't we? of the church at Laodicea. But I want to show you something that's very interesting and fascinated me this week. They didn't think of themselves like God did. They didn't see themselves at all. That church didn't. Guys, this was a church. He's not speaking to a town or a city or a community. He's not speaking to the world. He's speaking to a church. He's speaking to you and me. His people. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea, Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. Write, the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God says this. I know your deeds, that you're neither hot nor cold nor hot. I would that you were cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm, no, it's a stronger word than that. That's the word. I got your attention. That's a good thing. God says, if you're just lukewarm, I'm going to actually, you make me puke. How many of you ever felt like puking? Anybody? We can all identify the feeling, right? You know that feeling? Like a half an hour before you really comes up? You just start feeling green, we call it. Oh, you're just... It's a horrible feeling, right? And whatever started making you feel horrible ends up in the toilet. <laughs> Are you going to end up in God's toilet? These Christians were about to, and they didn't even know it. And you know what? You know what they thought of themselves? Here's what they were saying about themselves I've got it made, I'm rich. God must surely be blessing me. My, how are you doing, brother? Oh, good. How was your week? Really good. God bless me this week. My business is growing. Yeah, is God blessing you? Yes, God is blessing me. Is God blessing you? How do you know that God is blessing you, brother, sister? Is the blessedness of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit in and over your life? Is it really? Or are you missing the blessing? They missed the blessing, but they didn't know it. They thought they were being blessed because they were getting rich. But if getting 
rich in this world with this world's goods is God's blessing. Then all of the prophets who were killed in the name of God and the church, the thousands of people who died in poverty, in prison, and gave their lives, have died in vain and missed the blessing. Which one is it? Which one do you believe is the blessing? Really? Blessed are you when all men speak well of you and appreciate you so much. Is that what Jesus called blessed life? Blessed are you when men revile you, speak evil of you, rail against you, believing they're doing it for God. Blessed are you. Woe to you when all men speak well of you. Do you count being persecuted for Jesus Christ because of your obedience to the word a blessing? Now I know, Lord, I'm being blessed. So then, if you count it blessing, you won't find the words of Jesus strange when he says in Luke chapter 6, leap for joy when you're persecuted, when men speak evil of you. We're messed up, aren't we? And Jesus is trying to correct that all those things that are messed up in our life, beginning with our thought process, our attitude towards his truth, towards the way it really is, towards the way he sees it, the way it is in heaven, or the way we try to make it be on earth. This church said, I'm rich. I've become wealthy. I have need of nothing. And you do not know that you're wretched, you're miserable, and you're poor and blind, and oh, by the way, you're stark naked. You're naked. Now, I, I, you know, all of us, if I begin to put my clothes off right here, you guys would be hiding your eyes, wouldn't you? It's just a natural phenomenon. God made us that way. There's a shame in nakedness. These Christians were, God was ashamed of them. I'd be deeply embarrassed if Michael would go out here to the restroom and come back in here naked, right? I'd be throwing something over him. That's how God is feeling with his children. This is how Jesus was speaking to the church. He said, you're naked. I want to clothe you. But you won't. You're running around like naked little children, not even embarrassed, and you won't let me dress you. It's okay, Lucas, okay? Try to hold it together. I'm glad I got your attention, though. Are you naked and you don't know it? You see, nakedness is not just lewdness, fleshly lewdness. Nakedness is self-righteousness, trying to clothe myself with my own filthy rags. Have you ever noticed how Adam and Eve clothed themselves immediately after they sinned? God wasn't the first to clothe them. They clothed themselves. And they used fig leaves, the Bible tells us. Now, fig leaves were big leaves. They could take and they could sew together. And it says they sewed them together and they girded themselves. Why were they ashamed of God? Why did Adam say he was hiding from God? You know what he said? He said, I was naked. 
And I was embarrassed when he heard God coming. But he had clothed himself, hadn't he? He did. But in God's sight, he was absolutely naked and he knew it. And until God dressed him, God wasn't happy with the fig leaves. He killed some animals and he used the hide of the animals to dress them properly. But the principle of that truth is spiritually true to you and I today. We can reveal, we can know we sinned, we can repent from our sin, but we're still running from God. We still have an embarrassment towards God if we try to dress ourselves up with our own righteousness. Unless we allow God to come and take those clothes off. Your own thoughts, your own ways, your own thinking of what is right. Undress you and dress you with His love. With His righteousness. We can't freely walk before God unashamed. We'll be like Adam. In the garden but hiding ourselves. Receiving the implanted word. Meditating on these things. Paul told Timothy in Timothy chapter 3, 1 Timothy chapter 3. And oh, I encourage you, my dear brothers and sisters, go through the book of Timothy again. If you're feeling a little dry in your life and see the Lord Jesus just sharing his heart with you. In these words, Paul speaking to Timothy, verse 13 of chapter 4. Verse 13 of chapter 4. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. In your speech and the way you conduct yourself, show you an example of love, of faith, and of purity. Until I come, give attention. Gotcha. Concentration. Give attention to the reading of the scriptures. To exhortation, talk to yourself. A.W. Tozer said another fascinating thing about how he spoke to himself and spoke to his soul. And he wasn't the only one. Probably you are too. At least I am. I can say amen to David. David himself did this. He often spoke to his own soul. And he spoke to himself. And then the Holy Spirit says in Colossians 3, speaking to yourselves, not to others, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs so that you can be built up and encouraged. You should concentrate and begin to talk to yourself. Exhortation and teaching. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you which was bestowed upon you through prophetic utterances with the laying on of hands by the ministry or the presbytery. Take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them so that your progress may be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things. For as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Yourself first. Does that seem like a mediocre attitude towards Jesus to you? That the Holy Spirit is speaking? Now I ask you again, what will you do with those words? Will you take them seriously? Will you add them as a burden to your life and begin to say, okay, God, how am I going to do this? Add this to my time. 
add this to my thoughts. You know, it takes a lot of focus at work. How in the world am I going to be distracted by this? It says, take pains. Okay, what kind of pains am I going to do? Well, I can do a few things that are painful. I can begin to fast. You know, I can, I can go a whole day or maybe a, a few days without food. Or maybe I can do, you know, some fast of just salad or maybe just juice. Or I can take some pains. I can, you know, it might cost me a little money and I'll begin to, or get up a little earlier and it'll cost me some sleep. What pains are you going to take? If you don't take any pains, you're in disobedience to God's word. So what are you going to do about it? Are you going to come to the Lord and say, Lord, I love you. And I want you to teach me what pains to take. What does this look like in my life, Lord? What does it look like for me to be absorbed in your word? What does it look like to give attention to the scriptures? What does it look like, Lord, to speak to myself? How can I persevere in this? And then whatever he tells you to do, with an attitude, I come to do your will, O God, and he shows you personally what to do. This is the way I want you to do it. And you know it's him. You don't want to hear an audible voice, but you feel the, the, the impression deep on your heart. You know it's the Lord speaking. I want you to do this. And it's a change in your life. And guess what? I'll help you. This seems overwhelming, but I, I got my hand on you. You're in the palm of my hand. Your balance of this truth in your life is in the palm of my hand. Trust me. I'll do it with you. Colossians 3, chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 1, and there's a, speaks to us of seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He says these words. If you then be risen with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things on the earth. Having this attitude toward God's word is not only life-changing, but it's, it's life, it sets your life on a trajectory, on a way that you're going to live your life. And I'm just going to quickly name three people, and you can do the study, you can write these references down if you want of examples of this. Before I do that, I want to encourage you with reading. Reading stories of men and women who lived the Christian life before us. You see, God did something amazing for his family. He keeps records. God keeps records. He's keeping records of you. Someday someone is writing a book about you and your story, even now. Malachi 4 says, Then those who feared the Lord often spoke to one another, and a book of remembrance was written. A book of records was written in heaven of you, your story. God's a wonderful record keeper. And he kept a lot of records of the testimonies of his children. One of those is a name that may not be familiar with you. There's a lady who lived back in the 1600s and 1700s in France, her name was Gian Guion. Can you, did I pronounce that correctly? Madame Guion. Thank you, there's French. They called her Madame 
Kiyong. If you haven't read about this lady or read any of her books, I'll just give you a short synopsis. She was married to a very rich man. Back in those days, they had kings, rulers. And then she got born again. And the Lord began to speak into her life. You know what the first, one of the first things she began to do? Obey Ephesians chapter 4. Labor to share. Labor to share. And she began to find the poor and needy outside of her castles. And in the city, she began to give her money away. And her husband finally was like, what's going on here? I'm giving all my money away. He wasn't happy. He wasn't a Christian. She walked with the Lord. And in those days, there was severe persecution unless you were a member of a few churches, kind of like it is in China now and in other places across the world. Unless you're a member of the established church, you're not a good Christian. In fact, they'll imprison you or even kill you. She ended up spending over 20 years of her life in prison. And there she began to minister to people and write books. And she wrote a book, Experiencing the Depth of Jesus Christ. I'll never forget when I first read that book back in 2000. It changed my life. It changed many men's and people's lives. She talks about our attitude towards God in prayer. She referred to this exercise, praying the scriptures. Have you ever done that? Or do you come to God just with your own words? Have you ever come to the Lord in prayer, praying the scriptures? Did you know there are over 650 prayers in the Bible? Did you know that? Have you tried praying any of them? They're powerful. You pray them from your heart. You pray along David as he penned Psalm 119. You'll be amazed at how it's the cry of your heart. How it's the expression of your feelings. How it's the struggle of your faith. All in that prayer. And you'll get up satisfied. God brings life to his word if you and I are willing to pray his word. But I've seen in my Christian life that my life, my prayers were full of my words. Very little his. I didn't even know there were that many prayers in the Bible. So I hadn't concentrated. I wasn't fascinated. And I wasn't meditating on his word. And the birds were just taking it. So I wasn't receiving it. And when I did receive it, I struggled with it. It wasn't with humility that I received it. I would wrestle with God over his words and try to, how to fit it into my life. I can't do that. What do you mean? I now have to work to share? How can I do that? I've got to make a living. I've got to provide. I've got to let my business grow. Oh, you can have a thousand justifications of wrestling with his word until your spirit becomes broken and poor and quiet before the Lord and meek. Yeah, read Madame Guillaume's stuff if you haven't. There are many such things. There's another book I'd like to recommend to you. A.W. Tozer's book called The Pursuit of God. The Pursuit of God. Paul said to Timothy, Flee youthful lusts 
and pursue righteousness and peace. Pursue God by fleeing the world. You pursue God. What are you fleeing from in your life? Is it in pursuit of God? Or are you just fleeing from things and putting yourself into isolation? The other attitude that I see that is very needful in my life is to receive the Word of God in faith. With faith. Hebrews chapter 4 says, Those who received the Word but did not, were not united in it by faith, they didn't enter into His rest. That's what they missed. So if you want to take God's Word and let it bring rest to your soul and your relationship with Him, you must unite His Word with faith. That's what it must be united with. It's the only way to rest. And that means to trust in Him with this Word. With His Word. His way in your life. Alright, looks like people are leaving, so I better be quiet. Time to close. Father, I just thank You for Your Word. And I pray as I go, Lord, carrying and I to Minnesota the next three days to receive your word. Oh, Lord, I pray, have mercy on me. And help me, show me the way to open my heart to you in a greater way so I can be changed, forever changed. And I can receive it with life be led into rest. Bless your word today, I pray to your people. In Jesus' name, amen.